welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Today's guest on the American Baseball Coaches Association podcast is uh, Derek Johnson. Uh, Derek and I met uh, when I was in high school. He's playing collegiate baseball with my brother uh, for the Twin City Stars and the old CICL. Um, and since then, he's gone on to do amazing things as a baseball coach. Uh, DJ pissed at Eastern Illinois for uh, the late Dan Callahan, big shooter. Uh, and then after graduating from Eastern Illinois, uh, he remained as the pitching coach. Uh, with, with Big Shooter. Uh, from there, they both went on to Southern Illinois. And then from there, DJ went to Stetson and coached for uh, Pete Dunn. Uh, after that, uh, DJ went to Vandy as a pitching coach. And for those of you who may not know, uh, he worked for Roy Muburn uh, as the pitching coach at Vandy. And that was before Tim Corbin showed up. And then once Corbs got there, uh, he and DJ went on to do amazing things at, at the Vanderbilt program. Uh, DJ was also the 2010 ABCA Baseball America Assistant Coach of the Year. And then in 2012, he left to be the uh, minor league pitching coordinator for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, from there, he went on to be the Brewers pitching coach, and now he's currently the Cincinnati Reds pitching coach. Uh, he's been a very active member in the ABCA. Uh, he started the pitching hot stove, and uh, that led to the hitting, catching, infield, outfield, and base running hot stoves at the convention. Uh, he's also written a book, The Complete Guide to Pitching. Um, he did that when he was at Vandy, and if you don't have that in your library, I would highly recommend you picking that up for your coaching resource. Uh, it's very informative, uh, and you'll get a lot out of it if, uh, if you're coaching pitchers at all. Um, he's been a great friend, uh, a great mentor to me. Anytime I've needed to talk to him, uh, he's been there for me, and anytime I've needed help with anything, uh, he's been there, and uh, he's always a phone call or a text away, and I really appreciate that about him. Uh, he's a guy that's never forgotten where he's come from. Uh, and also in this uh, month's Inside Pitch Magazine, uh, he's in the December, November issue of Inside Pitch Magazine. He's in the hot corner section with Adam Revelay. Uh, and uh, it's a really informative article. If uh, um, you know, Again, another great resource uh, to pick up. Uh, really excited about getting him on the podcast. And uh, let's welcome DJ to the podcast. Uh, welcome, DJ. Hey, Ryan. How's it going, man? Good. Good. You doing okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, and and let's let's get right into it. Um, you know, for you, what, what will the off-season look like uh, for you, you know, personally, professionally? <laughs> um, you know, what, what are you doing this time of year? I think I'm intrigued to know what pro guys are doing this time of year. Um, you know, are you getting any time to relax? But what's it look for, like for you now? Yeah, so I, I usually take – um, the first couple of weeks past the season and try, you know, really not to do a whole lot of anything. I mean, not a lot of phone calls, certainly not a lot of any, any sort of office work and just, you know, be with my family as much as possible. And, and, um, also just kind of decompress. I mean, that season's long and, um, you know, a lot of times you're just kind of trying to figure out what happened. Um, you know, you, you have stats that tell you what happened, but then, you know, you have to process it all as well. So I, I take the first couple of weeks to try to do that. Um, I got a letter out the other day to, to all of our pitchers that, um, that we had towards the end of the year, 
you know, just kind of giving them um, an idea of, of what happened. I, I gave them some stat stuff, uh, some TrackMan data that um, that we keep track of, and and then uh, also just sort of kind of gave them uh, an off-season plan. So really, I'll uh, I'll talk to them uh, probably at the beginning of each month until we get to spring training with a couple of different you know topics. Um, next next month, uh, I'll do a um, basically like a delivery assessment. Uh, with them just to see if there's anything that we can kind of take care of uh, in the winter months the 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 month after that uh, in January we'll kind of go through each one of their pitches and talk about um, you know could we develop those further one way or the other Uh, and then uh, February you know it's right before we get to spring training we kind of do a deep dive into uh, where they threw the ball against lefties and against righties um, and then you know kind of how that worked out and maybe other places for us to visit to see if we can get either you know better swing and miss or uh, less hard contact or whatever. So it's pretty busy. Uh, I've got a few um, things I'm going to be doing you know this off season in terms of speaking. So I'm preparing for that the best that I can. And um, so I mean, in a lot of ways, um, you know, you you can find a lot of ways to try to keep busy. You know, when you're your communication with your pitchers, um, you know, are you doing that via text? Are you calling them? Um, you know, are you sending emails to guys? You know, when you're trying to relay information to them, you know, what what, what communication are you using with your guys? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, uh, both email and text. Um, and we have a kind of a Google document sheet that we we send out. That way, we can see if they actually got it, if they viewed it. Um, we can work back and forth off of that document. So. Uh, you know, you, you want to respect their time too. I mean, um, these guys are, are grown men and they, they can take care of themselves. Um, at, at the same time, you want to make sure that, that we have every chance to, to try to, you know, better our situation and, and, uh, you know, hopefully make them a little bit better in the process. So, it, it, you know, you do a look what, what you can in terms of, of keeping in touch with them. Some guys are great. I mean, they get right back with you. Other guys, you know, takes a little longer. They they're on a family trip. They're fishing, whatever it is that they do. So, is it independent for those guys just from an off season throwing program? I mean, how much how much do you have for those guys input wise on on how much is it individual basis? I know you're dealing with older guys, so you know, is it really yeah. individual for them, or you know, are you? It, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, I what I asked them to do um, before the end of the year, uh, I I just drew out kind of a quick calendar um and it was you know a four-month calendar but just sort of try to put it on one one page and and say okay you know what are you guys doing when will you start um how many bullpens will you come in with um you know before we we start back in spring training just to get kind of a bird's eye view of what guys did or didn't do and some guys were really technical i mean they had colored pins and arrows drawn everywhere and this is when i'm starting this you know you had other dudes that were uh, drawing little quotation marks of saying you know i'm doing this repetitively and uh, you know you just you don't know it varies from from guy to guy i mean the good part is is once they reach this level they're they are pretty motivated um you know they're actually pretty motivated to stay here a lot of times too i mean not just well, not not just the fact that they made it, but of figuring out a way to stay here as well. You know, just for generic, you know, somebody that's listening and maybe doesn't have a great feel for that. You know, say you have somebody that is shut down. You know, if you're going off the pitch smart stuff, so say somebody is shut down for eight weeks. You know, 
how long realistically are you going to try to give them to get get built back up before they do throw off the mound um, and and do throw a first bullpen uh, and, and obviously not a competitive bullpen, but just getting off the mound for that first time. I mean, realistically, what would you recommend for somebody that's going to go through that? Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that I I think we we have to differentiate is you know, what, what, what the difference is between throwing, um, you know, throwing and pitching number one. So, you know, one of the, the things that I talked to, to our guys about was being able to kind of off ramp during the season as well. Like I think problems kind of will arise if you just stop throwing completely and you do so abruptly. Um, so we, we did talk about kind of having a two week window where maybe we played catch, um, two or three times a week, you know, just, to kind of, you know, it's almost like a cool down phase. And, and, um, you know, I think guys did that. I I've seen guys do that in the past. It's been a, it's been a really good thing. You know, I do think you need maybe some time away from the game, certainly from the mound, um, and certainly even from throwing, but, but I don't know if it's, if there's any, you know, prescribed number of days or weeks or, or whatever. Um, I, I think, you know, once you start back into your throwing, you want to, you know, basically you want to make sure that you're counting backwards, backwards, meaning, all right, this is when spring training starts. You know, I, I need to have X number of bullpens in. this is when I'm going to start sort of my throwing fitness or, or maybe long toss type of, of, of event. Um, here's what I'm going to start playing catch. And, you know, catch, I think, is, is still a good thing. It's, it's moving your arm, especially if you're in a heavier phase of lifting or, you know, any sort of, of training of that nature. Um, you know, so I, I think really the key for, for me is sort of off ramping or, or, or that cool down phase, having a, a small window where you're not throwing. Um, and then also, like I said, kind of counting from, from backwards into what makes sense. What have I done in the past? Am I a starter? Am I a reliever? What was my workload workload last year? You know, if you're a 200 inning guy, um, you might need to take a little bit more time than you were if you were a, you know, a, a 70 or 80 inning guy. On the other hand, if you're a 70 or 80 inning guy, but you had 70 appearances, you know, like that's different. Um, you know, that there, there's a lot of strain on that. So you can, you can arrive at stress in different ways with your arm. Um, I think some of it has to be intuitive. Some of it, you know, some of these guys are a little bit older, so they have an idea of kind of what's worked for them in the past. Um, but then just some some logical sort of progressions kind of make sense to me in this area too. And you know, you you've been on both sides now, the college side, the the pro side, and um, you know, you I, I do feel like you're the first guy that kind of opened the doors for everybody. You're seeing a lot of it now. Um, you know, you get a lot of carryover. You know, what do you feel like is, is the biggest difference? You were in college forever, and and now you've been on the pro side. What do you feel like the biggest difference between college coaching and and professional coaching is? Coaching's coaching, and it doesn't make any difference if it's, um, you know, a little kid or if it's a high school kid, if it's a college kid. You know, coaching never really changes, but your audience does. Um, I, and I think that's a, a decent way to put it is like, you know, of course, the way that I approach, um, you know, a, a big league pitcher might might differ um, a whole lot from how I, how I approached a, a college pitcher in general. I mean, you know, a college kid you can sort of tell them what to do um, and they'll do it. Um, you, know, you know, pro guy, you got to 
you got to probably prod him a little bit more. He has to, you have to really build trust with him before he's going to jump off of that, that ledge for you. Um, but even inside of that, like there are different kind of, kind of varying degrees, so to speak of, you know, how you intertwine and how you, you coach a player. So the way that I coach Louis Castillo may be a, a whole lot different than the way that I try to coach Sonny Gray. Um, they're both starters. Um, they're both great guys. Um, you know, but I do have to approach them differently because they have different needs. Number one, uh, they have different ages. Number two, uh, they speak different languages. Number three, but you, you know, just more more than anything, it's the type of people they are and and what they need. Um, and, and, you know, from a coach. But I, I would say that you know, I think the one faulty way of thinking is, you know, that coaching is different um, from one level to the next. It's really not. It, it's the people. Um, that that's what's the, the most different. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people know this, you know, when you're at Vandy, you're on Roy Muburn's staff. And, um, I, this is more of a personal question. Was there ever a point where you didn't feel like Tim Corbin was going to hire you for the, for the job at Vandy? Was it, did you ever, cause I think that, I think that's pertinent oh, yeah. to everybody. I think everybody goes through that, whether you see it at the pro level or the college level where guys just clean house. And I think it's a great example of retaining somebody. Um, I mean, was that ever, in, did you ever have that in the back of your mind that like, okay, I may uh, not. I had that at the front of my mind um, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, like, like coach Muburn um, was, was such a great guy and, and, and uh, really enjoyed being around him. And, you know, it was just his time to retire and, and, um, you know, Roy and I still talk about it all the time. I see him probably once or twice a year and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just his time. And, uh, when they, when they hired coach Corbin, you know, I didn't know Tim very well. Uh, I'd seen him on the road a few times. I've talked to him on the road a few times, but he and I weren't close at all. Um, you know, so the idea of him hiring me kind of out of the blue, you know, I, I actually didn't really expect it. I mean, I was hoping that he would, um, the, the administration at Vanderbilt was really good with it too. They, they tried really hard to, um, you know, to, to help me. Um, you know, they, they put in a good word for me with all of the candidates that they had, uh, to replace coach Muburn. And, you know, certainly they talked to, to Tim about it a lot and, you know, um, at the same time, I, I didn't really expect that that was going to happen. Um, you know, just, I, I didn't know him that well. Um, you know, so, so I did, one thing I did do is I took a lot of notes throughout the course of the year. I do that anyway. I keep a journal and, um, he and I had a chance to meet right after he got the job. Um, and, and so I, I kind of gave him this copious amounts of notes, uh, some of which I'm sure didn't make any sense to him. Some of them probably, you know, probably did, but I, I gave it to him saying, you know, this is what I know about Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, I think he was appreciative of that, um, it, it, I don't know if it was, was good, what, what I wrote, but there was a lot of it. Um, and so, you know, he poured through that and, um, you know, I think a few days later he ended up hiring me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I was kind of thinking, okay, what's my next step? I had just gotten there. Um, I had been at Stetson before that in Florida with, with Pete Dunn, uh, and loved it there. Um, you know, so this was sort of a leap of faith to, to go to Vanderbilt and, um, you know, here I was a, a year later, almost, almost out of the deal. 
And, and I love asking this question. You talked about journaling. Do you feel like that is your best uh, daily routine? And I don't know if you journal daily. Um, that was something I used. I still use as well. Um, but do you feel like that's your best daily routine that you have? Do you have any other daily routines that, that you like that you use? Because pro baseball is hard. It's a grind. Um, do you feel like that's your best uh, resource that you use or routine? Or do you have other ones that you use as well? Yeah, it's one of them. I mean, I kind of float between um, – I kind of float between to-do lists and, you know, the, the journaling pieces. And journaling for me is more of, of just ideas that come to my head that, you know, that I think might be pertinent at some point. Um, ideas for our season, ideas for one of our pitchers, um, ideas for a minor league organization. I mean, whatever it is, you know, if I, if I see something or I think of something that you know, makes sense for the situation that I'm in right now, then, you know, that's certainly something that I want to write down. Um, I, I don't write it as a diary, you know, well, we lost four to three today and, uh, it was a tough game. I mean, I, I don't do that. I think there's probably some value in that. Um, it, it, there hasn't really been a lot of value for me personally with that. But then, like I said, I sort of shuffle between that and just uh, to-do list. I mean, you know, there is a lot of things to be done. I want to stay organized. Um, you know, and, and it is sort of having a plan for the day. Uh, and I enjoy that. I mean, you, you know, you, you get up and you do your thing, whether it's your exercise or, you know, you meditate or whatever, um, you know, but at least have an idea of when you're going to do that, what, what's going to happen. Uh, and, and time is short, you know, especially a seven o'clock game, a, a new series, a new team. Um, I've got to get in there early and I've got to get started. So I, I don't want to waste time. I, I've found if it's not on my calendar, it, it doesn't exist. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't right. exist if it's not on my calendar and it's not on to my, my to-do list. Um, right. You know, do you right. have anything, you know, looking back now and you've had a great career, is there anything that, it, would you go back and change one thing and it may be nothing? I mean, you, you're in a great place. Um, you know, is there anything that, that you would go back and change if there was one thing? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say probably not because I think, you know, your experiences, whether they're good or bad, kind of lead to the next thing. And, you know, there, there certainly I can think back of a million situations that I would have handled differently. Um, you know, there would have been probably a million people that I would have uh, maybe tried to, to do something differently or said something differently, um, maybe to, to be able to help them better or to help them more quickly. Um, but in terms of, of just kind of main events, um, no, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, um, I've, I've had a lot of good fortune and a lot of good luck with, you know, with where I was at and who I was with and, you know, um, some, some really good things worked out. Um, you know, and like I said, I think that that's sort of what experience is. It sort of gets you to the place that you're, you're at right now, kind of good and bad. Do you have a fail forward moment? Um, do you have something that looking back now that you thought at the time was maybe going to train wreck you or, or ruin you that, you, you know, I tried to tell people that, like, you know, look up in 12 months, it may be the best thing that's ever happened to you or at the end of the day, right. it wasn't that big a deal. Do you have any, anything like that, a fail forward moment that you thought along the way that, okay, this is going to be it. And it actually turned out to be pretty good. Well, yeah, I mean, I actually, what, what we talked about would be the closest, um, experience, you know, from, from that aspect would just be like, you know, coming to Vanderbilt, only being there for a year, um, you know, the, then being basically kind of hanging in the balance to see whether or not, you know, whether or not I was going to be retained. Um, that, that was probably the closest and from, from that regard, because really then, 
you know, I was at Vanderbilt for nine more years after that for a total of 10. Um, I, I had the best job in college baseball in my mind. Um, you know, didn't need to go anywhere. I wasn't all that interested in being a head coach. Um, you know, the Cubs called and it was, you know, it was unique. Um, it was, it was something I had never really thought about. I mean, and I can, I can tell you this pretty honestly, like when I was a college baseball coach, the thought of being a major league pitching coach didn't exist. I mean, I never one time thought of that. Um, you know, so when this Cubs thing Cubs down the, the pike, um, you know, I was interested in it because it was a challenge that, um, you know, it was unique. I, I, you know, I never really thought of trying to do it. I didn't play professional baseball. So, um, that, that was, you know, that was kind of a, a cool, kind of the cool part of that. But, um, yeah, maybe the Vanderbilt would be the, what would be that moment for me. Yeah. And, you know, you've done a lot for the ABCA and you and I've talked a lot about, you know, we, we've had some great times at the convention and, um, you know, you've done a lot. You started the, the pitching hot stove. You're speaking this year on the main stage. You're speaking at the youth, youth stage. Um, you know, what sticks out to you about the ABCA? I mean, you've been a part mm-hmm. of it forever. Um, you know, and, and I think you and I both owe a lot to the ABCA. We're both in great positions because of the ABCA, you know, um, you know, f- especially for somebody that maybe doesn't know anything about the convention. Um, you know, I, we could talk probably for four hours on the, on the convention itself, <laughs> right. but, you know, right. anybody that's maybe listening in and trying to figure things out with the ABCA, um, you know, anything that jumps off the top of your head with, with that part of it. Yeah. Well, literally, um, you know, when I was a college coach, it was, was my absolute favorite, um, event to go to. I mean, uh, you know, there was something about the idea of, of being with, you know, a seemingly a bazillion other coaches. Um, I'm not sure how many are coming these days, but, uh, uh 7,100 uh, this year, <laughs> that's a lot, that's a lot of coaches, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but just, just the idea that, you know, you have so many coaches in one place, um, the idea that, you know, a lot of them yeah. and, and which is neat, the longer that you go in this, this game, the more people you meet and, you know, the, that 7,100 shrinks, um, you know, at least into a space where, you know, a, a good number of them, but, you know, just being able to, to go back and see guys maybe that you haven't seen for a while. Um, you know, getting to know new guys too, and, and introducing yourself, um, you know, to, to new folks. Um, I can tell you like going out on the floor and looking at all the, the new stuff, like I still, I love looking at new baseball gloves and equipment. And I mean, like I dig that stuff and I, it's great. It's like a kid in a candy store. And so, you know, you have this huge room with all these vendors and all this new stuff and, you know, of course they're trying to push their, their deal. And some of them are, you know, some of them are pretty cool and, and others, you know, you kind of look at going out, you know, I can't, I can't really do that right now, but, um, but just the idea of, of having sort of that main, you know, that, that big room with, with all the stuff in there. And, and I still, I still really enjoy that. Uh, and then obviously you have the, the speakers that are, um, on stage trying to, to help and, you know, I think that's the thing is, is keeping in mind is, as I'm going to, you know, do those, those two presentations for the ABCA. And it's, you know, like, like the only, like I only have one goal. Um, and it's certainly not to make myself look smart because anyone that knows me, you know, Ryan, you do, um, knows that I'm not really all that smart. Um, but, but my, my main goal is really just to, to give one or two things that a coach can take back and use. And, you know, if you can do that, then, you know, I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but I mean, honestly, 
you know, I've, I've listened to talks, um, at, at various places and walked away thinking, you know, really that guy just said a lot of big words that didn't make sense to me. And, you know, okay, it was, it was good, but, um, I didn't really get anything out of it. Um, I've been, you know, to others where it's, there were those one or two things that you write down and you went, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, when I'm uh, able to speak for, for the ABCA this year, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, not everything is going to appeal to, to the audience, but if there's those one or two takeaways that you can, you know, you can take back to your school with you, it's a good thing. And, and you've been on the speaking circuit for a while now. I mean, you've done the ranch and, and you're doing Pitchapalooza. Do you have any tips? Because there are some young coaches out there that are maybe doing this for the first time that, that are going to go to a high school clinic. Um, do you have any tips for those guys? Because I think we all had to go through that. That that first one, especially, you get on the stage. And um, do you have any tips? Swallow for, your tongue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the palms are going right. to sweat. And, I mean, you are going to get tight right. in the chest a little bit. Do you have any tips for guys that are going through that well, first well, time? Well, I think it's the same thing that you tell your your players, you know, it's like you, you know, your chest is going to get tight and your palms are going to, are going to sweat. Like that's, that's the the natural part of what, you know, what we do. Um, that's being on a stage, that's being in competition. Um, you know, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's natural. It's normal. Um, honestly, um, the, the best tip that I can give you is if you want to be good at it, you have to do it a lot. And, and if you do it a lot, you become way more comfortable uh, in those environments, because you are in some ways, you're kind of getting up in front of people that you don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, you know, one of our things when that happens is, is this person going to like me? And, you know, I mean, that's just, just the natural response. I think you got to kind of get over that. Like, you know, if there are a hundred people in the room, um, you're going to appeal to, you know, you're going to appeal to, to 50 of them, maybe. Um, they're they're going to be, you know, out of the other 50 that you didn't appeal to, you know, 30 of them just don't care about the topic. And then, you know, 10 were not really listening because they had other things going on. And then the other 10 just think that you stank. You know, they're just like, you know what, this guy's not any good. <laughs> um, so if you can live with those numbers, you know, kind of understanding that, hey, at least I got 50 on my side. The others are sort of noncommittal. And then there's those 10 that pretty much think I, I stink. You know, I think you can live with that, those those odds. And it's sort of the way you have to look at it. Like you're not going to walk in and just make everyone go, oh, my gosh. Um, and usually if, you know, if, if you were that guy, um, that means you're probably pretty special. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't claim to, to be that person. It's just uh, just want to give solid information and just want to try to, to help someone if I can. Yeah. And I think it's as with any performance, you know, those ang- that anxiety you feel is just your body's preparation to go out and perform. And, yeah, sure. and you need to view it as excitement and, and, and be excited about the opportunity to do it because that's all your body's doing is trying to get you ready to go. And uh, you're going to have a great performance life. if, yeah, if you're going to have a great performance if you get into that, into that mode. Um, right. right. Do you have any, re- you know, just, kind of backing up here do you have any recommendations for youth coaches youth parents yeah i mean you have kids um youth players you know anybody that's listening in uh do you have anything for them and it doesn't have to be lengthy here but just anything i mean you're in it right now you're seeing a lot of different things right now is there anything recommendation wise for the for the youth side of things yeah i would just tell you to, to be careful um you know where where you're going and and who you're you're going with like there's so much information on the internet. There's so much information on Twitter. Um, you, you know, and, and some of it, some of it's awesome. 
um, you know, like you, you look at, you look through some of this and you go, wow, I mean, this is, it's almost getting to the point where a coach needs to be like a biomechanist, you know, like he has to have some sort of certain creeper, uh, you know, to, to coach because of just how people are thinking about the game. And, um, so, so on the one hand, it's wonderful. I mean, you know, they're thinking more deeply about the game probably than ever before, or at least certain components of the game, you know, maybe not, uh, the game itself, but certainly breaking down a swing or breaking down the delivery or whatever. I mean, there's plenty of information out there. Um, I, I think what happens is, is you know, when we get too much information in our brains, when um, we try to, to go too fast, we forget about the kind of the one thing, you know, from a youth perspective, it's, uh, it, it's fun. Um, you, you know, and we, we have to be able to make sure that, that this is fun. Um, you know, it sounds great to break down your swing and figure out launch angle and all of that, you know, and then, you know, you got to remember that you're looking at your 12 year old kid, um, which really it's just about like understanding the joy of baseball yeah. and why, you know, like why I fell in love with it, why you fell in love with it. Um, th those are still things that are really important to me. My son plays, um, you know, I throw a lot of VP to him. Uh, I say very little, um, you know, first off, because I'm not any sort of hitting expert. Um, I, I know how to get him out. Um, and I tell him that all the time, you know, it's like, it's easy to get you out if I throw the ball here or here. Um, but, but there's the, the bigger reason for throwing him BP is just that he and I can be together. You know, he and I, you know, we'll, we'll go to the cages, we throw, um, we'll talk, we'll hit some more, we'll talk some more. Like that's, that's the beautiful part of it. Um, you know, in terms of information, like I said, there's a lot out there and, you know, you have to have a fundamental uh, understanding of how to play. Um, and, and so many kids now, um, you know, unfortunately it's not their fault, but so many kids now just really don't have a, a, a very good idea about like how to play the game. Well, free play has you know, been taken away from kids now that, that free play that we all used to have growing right. up. They just don't, yeah. it's not their fault. They just don't have that opportunity that to, to have free play as, as much anymore. It, well, yeah. And I, I, you know, I was thinking the other day, you know, it, it's scarier now, um, in most of the places that we live where, you know, you can't let your kid just go down the street with his friends and play, you know, whatever. Well, you could um, in the old days. You just didn't know. You didn't know any better. You know, that's what it was maybe, back in the maybe, old days. <laughs> I just don't think anybody yeah, knew any right. better. You know, but, but just saying, like, you know, it's a little scarier now for, yes. for that to happen. Like, you're not going to let your seven-year-old or your eight-year-old, you know, go to the other side of the, you know, uh, other side of the neighborhood. Um, and just there's there's just a lot of fearful things out there now. But, but like I said, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you can keep in mind that, that – this this game is built around like it's 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 a game it's joy it's you know you're you're playing a game you're not working a game um, I I think if you can at least kind of keep that in mind then at least there is some sanity in what you know <laughs> anything that you're gonna do like my mom and dad never had to push me to play um, I wanted to it was on me you, you know like I think when you have to start pushing guys to play you're, you're probably yeah, you're probably going the wrong direction. Yeah, because intrinsically they don't have it. Um, right. You know, l last thing here before I let you go, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to do this. I know you're yeah, trying to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, how do you I, – and I always struggled with this, and I think coaches out there So, How do you balance family and season? Is is there a way to do it? I mean, is, is there a possibility to do it? I mean, how do you balance the family side of things in season? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, you know, would love to say that I'm good at it. Um, but you know, you, you leave February 15th or so for spring training and, and, you know, then you kind of come back October 1st and, um, you know, so there isn't a lot of time at home. Um, you, you know, from our end of things, my kids are a little bit older, so it's easier. It was really hard when they were young. Um, you know, but you, you just, you really, you do the best that you can, you, you know, you have to find family moments, you know, things that your family like to do together make sure that you do those. So, you know, as an example, before I went to spring training every year, uh, we would take like two weeks and we would try to bowl like two or three times a week. Um, and I, I promise you, I'm not a very good bowler. Um, I promise you my family aren't good bowlers, but you know, it was just a way for us to kind of be together and have fun and, and connect and, you know, that's, that's, that's what you're trying to do with your players. That's what you're trying to do with, you know, other people on your staff, your other coaches, you know, certainly it's what you're trying to do with your, with your family too. I mean, it's really not different. Um, you know, during the season, uh, then it, it becomes more of sort of once a month, uh, you know, type of events where, um, but we've turned that into kind of some fun things too, where, you know, my kids will pick out, um, a couple of different places that they want to go. So, you know, if they haven't been to Seattle and we're playing Seattle this year, it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to come to Seattle to see you or New York or wherever. So, you know, the, the good part is they've had chances to travel to places and cities that maybe they wouldn't have had a chance to, to travel to, um, you know, and then obviously Cincinnati from, from Nashville's, you know, it's a five hour drive. So, uh, that's doable to get back and forth. So it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's just remembering the small moments and making sure that those happen and, and the connection has to be there. All right. Well, tremendous. And uh, again, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing you here at the end of S- December. So um, it'll be here before you know it. So thanks yeah, again man. for can't, can't, can't wait. Yep. I'll uh, see you guys all soon. Yep. All right. Thanks, DJ. All right. Thank you. Again, that was current pitching coach of the Cincinnati Reds, Derek Johnson. Uh, I want to personally thank DJ for coming on. Uh, I want to wish him safe travels. Uh, as he hits the the speaking circuit this winter, uh, as we've talked about, uh, he's going to be on the main stage and the youth stage in Nashville. And uh, again, I can't thank him enough for coming on. Uh, and he made it really easy on this first timer here for a podcast. And that's my hope for the podcast is that it's an open and honest, honest conversation. And then I hope everybody can pick up one or two things as, as they listen in. Uh, and then I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve everybody. Uh, This is the American Baseball Coaches Association's podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee, and then I'm signing off from the uh, home office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Have a great day, and uh, leave it better for those behind you. Thanks.
nothing left for you And I don't have time to write another song To say to you so Like a needle tearing in my vein Way the whiskey's driving me insane There is something special about you Oh,